And we're live. Georgie Dinkov, how are you, sir? <laughs> fine, fine. Still afloat. So you were, still annoying Biden just a few, few blocks away. Well, you were just telling me you were late because you were getting quad vax. Is that correct? Yes, with several <laughs> boosters, though. And I'm kind of like deciding, flipping a coin, which one exactly should I take? But Biden's telling me it just don't matter. Like, take any one of them and show me your certificate. Yeah, yeah. This thing has, even though we've been talking about this since... I don't know, or April of 2020. It's really shocking when it actually goes down like you think it's going to happen, you know? Like it's really like living in the twilight zone and getting extremely terrible very quickly, you know? And he, I mean, even the liberal media said like uh, there, there were these, uh, you know, there's several fact checker uh, websites like Snopes and like uh, Fact Checker, I think it's, one of them is called. Uh-huh. And then the, today, uh, uh, when I, because when I launched Google News, which I know I shouldn't be reading, but they're a good aggregator, even though they're extremely biased, right? So, so to the right side, there's like always like claims about COVID that they're trying to debunk. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, to, today's uh, top line was like, did Biden ever say that he will never impose a mandate? Um, on on government workers and people in general, so Snopes like did like really an amazing job. Whoever is writing the debunking yeah. <laughs> is really a psychopath, but really uh, like capable psychopath. I mean, twisting and 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 pulling strings out of thin air, but eventually, like they read it as true. Um, long story short, not only he mandated it for government workers, I, I'm sure you've seen, uh, you've heard, yeah, yeah. but now through OSHA, which uh, many people think it's unconstitutional, it will probably be challenged in court. Now he's basically mandated it uh, for every company uh, that basically has over 100 employees, even if they don't do business with the government. Yeah, d- that directly affects you, correct? Um, not really, because I basically I'm uh, such a weird in a weird situation. First, I'm a one man show. Mm-hmm. Second, because all of my contracts with the government are sole sourced, mm-hmm. and they're under a certain amount. I'm not gonna say what amount it is, but basically, like for one person, you can imagine they're not big. Basically, I am like a vendor for the government. I'm not a contractor technically because mm-hmm. I don't provide a body to the government. I provide service bundled, almost bundled like a product. Mm-hmm. So the government comes to me and says, I want to buy X, right? And then X is a project which is called, let's say, penetration testing um, or like vulnerability remediation or things like that. It's so, so it's like it's almost like a vendor. It's, it's like even though I'm the one providing it, they're treating me because I'm a very small company, one-man show, and very small contracts. I'm basically selling the government my time in chunks that are treated as a product. So no, it does not affect me. <laughs> but I there, there aren't that many people that are that are in my unique situation. Most of them are actually actual government contractors, usually on site through a body shop essentially right um and those will have to get vaccinated so i think the the estimate is his decision is going to affect literally overnight about 100 million people <laughs> this is so crazy and uh yeah man this is this is <laughs> like again we've been talking about this the whole time but it's just shocking that it's actually and 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 again the the next imposition will probably be even worse than this one you know what i mean like I'm concerned about you saw that pro- proposed law to ban interstate travel, right? Well, that hap- uh, but it's going. I mean, that has to go through Congress. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if I if that thing passes through one chamber of Congress, I'm out of the United States. Really? Well, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, but at you're that not, point, it will become impossible to go anywhere. I thought what Biden's speech was a bullish signal to get out of the U.S. ASAP. 
Um, not yet, because I think the, the second part will get challenged, the Osho one, mm-hmm. because that's really like you encroaching upon private companies. They have nothing to do with the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a sufficient number of companies that are basically they don't want to do any, any. They don't want anything to do with the government. They hate the government. They would they would not do business with the government, even if you put a gun to their head. And they're small mom, mom and pop shops. Which of course Biden administration did their best to, to destroy with the lockdowns and everything, but they're still around. Uh, I mean, and, and it tells you they're around because of the amount of the number of people that this decision affects. Uh, I think it was like ninety six percent of all businesses in the United States are small businesses, mm-hmm. yeah, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I suspect the second part of the ruling will get thrown out in court, uh, or, or at least heavily modified to the point of, uh, yeah, you will not be. There will be no vaccine mandate. But then probably the companies will charge the unvaccinated more for health insurance or something like that. Something much more reasonable, which though blatantly discriminatory, it doesn't get to the point of saying, you know, just do as you said and shut the hell up. Well, like DeSantis and Abbott and things like that, they're, they're saying, oh, we're going to oppose this uh, un- unlawful. But I, I almost think that's like Trump saying, oh, he's going to do uh, he's going to um the election, he's going to overturn fraud, and he was completely impotent to basically do anything. So again, I'm not trying to sell the darkest view ever, but do you think he would have even said that if they knew they couldn't get it done? You know, like I, I am extremely hesitant to think that there's anything like at the state level that people can do. Uh, I don't think they can challenge the first part. I think Biden can certainly uh, mandate uh, federal government workers to be vaccinated now that the FDA has approved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure people will challenge it, but I, I just don't see it. I, I just don't see it succeeding. Um, and it, uh, the recent Supreme Court ruling about uh, a bunch of students from Indiana University who challenged the university mandate for vaccination, even though they were remote students, mm-hmm. they said we're not going back on campus. And uh, the Supreme Court refused to hear the case, which basically leaves the decision as is. Um, so um, so basically, I mean, the, the federal courts have confirmed time and time again that the president has a pretty, pretty big latitude in terms of action against uh, when it comes to federal government and its employees and contractors. Hell, like since September 11th, they've been treating regular citizens like property and and cannon fodder. Like why, you know? So again, when it comes to federal government and, and its employees, or should I say, slaves or property, Biden pretty much rules supreme. Now it's a lot less clear why would why OSHA, uh, I think it stands for Office of Health, uh, Health and Occupational Hazard or something like that, uh, Office of Safety and health. I have to, but something. It's an office that deal federal office that deals with basically uh, safety of the work environment. Um, and then an argument, I guess, could be made that well, the unvaccinated are, tra- are threatening the vaccinated, right? Uh, but there haven't been that many mandates uh, by OSHA that basically sacrifice the rights of one group of people to benefit another group of people. It's mostly like the employer needs to, I mean, it's mostly if, if anybody is being thrown under the bus, it's basically the employer. The employer needs to provide something, right? The employer needs to invest in workplace safety. The employer needs to provide you with goggles or, or, or gloves or needs to give you like regular bathroom breaks, things like that. So you don't get, so you, so you, you're, uh, you, re, uh, what is it called? Uh, the, you go, your bladder doesn't burst. Like if you, like Amazon <laughs> is what's happening with some <laughs> of the Amazon workers, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so things like that, but like to, for Asha to start, mandating one group of people versus another and, and which group has more rights um, than another group that that would be a you know uh, setting a very 
broad and dangerous precedent, and most courts uh, are shy heavily away from that. Okay. Uh, now, but I think this will be really be the test, to be honest. I mean, so either either the challenge, which I believe that DeSantis will try to challenge it. I don't think they will challenge the first portion because what business does Florida or any other state have has telling the federal government how to treat its own federal government employees? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they may, right? But uh, I, I think there's a very, I'm not a lawyer, but I already talked to a few lawyers actually today and they said they don't think that the states have legal standing. Um, uh, there's this thing, I think, in, on the law, which is uh, you can ask like for a, uh, for a case, like for the common good, right? So it's not Florida's business, but Florida can argue that, you know, this case should be heard by the court because it benefits, you know, a large number of people and anybody can be the plaintiff in this case. Or, you know, many of the federal government employees are actually Florida residents and Florida, you know, can say, well, we're looking after them. So you have to hear us out. Uh, it's it's a weak case, let's put it this way, at least according to the lawyers that I spoke to. The second, I think the second part, the OSHA requirement, which applies to every private company with 100 employees or more, they think that will get stricken down or basically or heavily modified to the point where it will still be a problem. It will still mean that basically the, uh, you know, um, the powers that be get to uh, dole out their poisons with, without much uh, um, you know, in terms of repercussions, but at least it will not be required, right? It will not be to the point where you do as you are told and any idea of constitutional rights flies out the window. Well, well, you said what Biden said in his speech, protecting the vaccinated from the unvaccinated, which is like, doesn't make any sense. That actually had to have been part of their plan, you know, because like the, the vaccine not being efficacious at all had, had to have, like if it was efficacious, like it, they would kind of be in a weird spot. They they wouldn't be able to do these do these mandates, right? Well, something strange is going on. I don't know if you saw the work organization this week came out and said, by no, absolutely by God, stop giving booster shots and stop approving the booster shots. And they <laughs> they claimed it was an issue of like uh, the rich countries in the world have hoarded up all of the vaccines, yeah, right. and basically <laughs> it, 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 they will probably end up vaccinating its population up to the wazoo. And of course, they'll survive the pandemic. But poor little third world countries that don't have even one vaccine, you know, they're basically like uh, are screwed, right? And they're going to be they're going to get decimated. Of course, uh, ulterior motives here, right? They want they definitely want the <laughs> third world countries to uh, to have at least one shot, right? Um, and then yes, of course, if the rich countries keep all the vaccines in their possession, then third world countries get to walk away free. We can't have that here, right? One other thing I want to touch on before we move on is um, I'm sure you get them because I get a lot of them. What would you say to people that are like, uh, you know, I really want to do X, Y, Z and I can't if I'm uh, not vaccinated. So therefore, I'm going to get vaccinated. Uh, What is your response? What what, what would be the X, Y, Z? I mean, if your employer is forcing you to do it, um, I mean, I think at this point, um, I don't know of any person, including lawyers and doctors who are getting paid as you know, uh, enough to for them to actually consider this to be a worth worthwhile sacrifice. Uh, used to be the, the case when I first came to the United States. I and, and you know first day in university, I wanted to study computer science, uh, and then like the the professor, a guy from an immigrant from Sri Lanka, pulled me to the side and said, "Georgie, let, let me talk to you. Listen to me, because <laughs> you and I are immigrants. You just don't understand how things work in this country." <laughs> The only two professions in this country that can really make it by being hired guns are lawyers and doctors. So think very carefully if you want to be studying computer science, <laughs> because as an immigrant, you don't stand much of a chance with this degree, you know. And that 
the, you know, that was 1997. Then the dot-com boom happened, and he was telling me, oh, I was wrong. Maybe he did choose the, the right career path. Of course, then the dot-com dot -com crash happened, and he was like, you see, I was telling you, you should have become pre-med. You should have gone to law school. Long story short, I saw him maybe about two years ago, um, and really, like, drastic change from the last time I saw him. Uh, basically, um, you know, he spent all of his life savings and putting his daughter through law school only for her. And I think she went to Yale's law school or something, one of the top. Um, and she has been unemployed ever since she, she basically graduated. She took the bar, passed the bar in New York and Virginia. I'm sorry, New York and Maryland. He lives in Maryland. Um, still unemployed. Now, of course, you can make an argument that, you know, maybe she's just <laughs> not good enough to get a job. But I know several such cases. So he was really depressed. His life savings went, went to, you know, towards educating his daughter into the profession that he told me one of those I should get. And the last time we saw each other, he basically said, no, man, I was wrong. Uh, there is no profession in this country anymore that, that kind of sets you for life as, as hired labor. We're all screwed. Cool. Um, and I think even the university started... Um, reconsidering because he's been there for like 25 years maybe recently they uh, the the provost sent uh, an email uh, and he told me basically the provost said that they have too many tenured professors so some of them will basically have to get forced into early retirement um or or worse they'll, they'll get a severance package and i don't know how that's possible i guess like well i guess the university can do whatever it wants to like it's just it was just a false sense of security that a sabbatical you know i'm sorry not sabbatical like a tenure professorship um makes you immune to being fired apparently not long story short the university is thinking of getting rid of at least 20 percent of its tenure professors and he suspects he will be one of them at which at which point he basically says you know what I mean, I've been in this country for, what, almost 30 years now. My daughter was born here. You know, uh, her entire life is here. But if that happens, if I get canned, my wife and I are picking up and going back to Sri Lanka. There's just there's just no, nothing to do here anymore. What I mean, I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but would you agree that this is like the fight of all of our lives? You know, I I, I, I would say that's the fight of, of humanity yes. since humanity's existence, because technology, at least in the recorded history of humanity, has never been at the level where basically you press a button and you burn the entire world. The, um, there may have been civilizations in the past that, that have had that, and maybe that's how they ended up destroying each other. Right. But I, I think this this time is really different in the sense that. I don't know of any time in history when a small clique of people has possessed so much power over so many others. Just to quote Zizinski again, uh, used to be easier to convince a million people than to kill them, right? Now it's the other way around. Uh, so that tells you enough. I mean, basically, if these the powers that be don't give a crap about any human life, including of the chosen race, um, then we're seeing what's happening there right now with all the vaccinations and all the people dying like flies. Um why would why would they ever why would they even bother trying to convince anybody? I mean, they'll just skip strictly to the you know directly to the killing. Yeah, I guess my point is we're all making s sacrifices. Like, if you don't agree with this, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. I would love to be in Japan right now. You know, like not not traveling ever again is literally painful to me. Like that, it it's hurts. I would love to be somewhere else. You know, and, and what I'm trying to say is people are saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna submit to this. 
because I want to do X, Y, X, Y, Z. Like it's never they, going back to normal. Yeah, exa exactly. Like if you they, let them have their thing. Yeah, I don't this think. Is not, this is not a one-time thing that the pandemic will be over and suddenly you'll regain your freedoms. It, this, this is not. Look, there's a reason why every single thing that we said, you know, over time, over the last 18 months, and we got blamed that it's a conspiracy theory, right? Every single one of these things came to, came to fruition. So at what point do you start at least thinking about, well, all of these things did sound really, really crazy at the beginning, and they are, the implications of them coming to fruition are even crazier. Like, why would all of this be put into motion, right, and in mandating all of these things for all of these people around the world? Suddenly, and the government now has all of this additional power. Why would the government suddenly say, oh, yes, we handled it, it's over, and everything goes back to normal? Why? Like, why would any government with fascist tendencies ever do that? Has any government... Would fascist tendencies ever done that in the past? I, I think the answer is no. Yeah. Again, I realize it's complicated. People's jobs depended on stuff. But if, if you don't have to get the vaccine and you don't agree with what's going on, like have some self-respect. Like don't like some of the more moderate opinions I've heard is like, OK, I'll I'll take the vaccine once. Right. Because I've, I've been told by my employers that they'll only mandate the sing, like the single uh, like the one time vaccine. And if if this turns into a, you know, because then immediately I, I turn the conversation towards, well, the way it's going, it's turning like, look at Israel, look at Iceland. It's turning into a monthly booster situation. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, hell no, I'm not doing that. If that if it comes to that with my company, then I'm leaving. So I can kind of understand that, right? I mean, you don't, not many people are radicalized from the very beginning. They, they, they do want to give the government the benefit of the doubt, but because let's face it, if your whole life, the world has treated you nicely and you've gotten things that you wanted, most people re are reluctant to burn it down to the ground, even in the face of, you know, incontrovertible evidence that, that things are not the way they seem, right? Uh, so they'll they'll try to give it the benefit of the doubt until they get inconvenienced to the point where basically they will have to choose between X and Y and there is no place in between. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I get that question all the time, you know. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell people how to live their lives or whatever, but... I, I guess it, what I'm trying to say is like it's like a deal with the devil, you know. I don't I don't know how many people are playing playing. How the situation many people out. need to say publicly of the elite <laughs> that there's no going back to normal for for the public to well, finally get it? <laughs> what what was the two year like? If you get the vaccine, you're automatically entered into a two year surveillance program. I don't think anybody uh, that really doesn't get that much coverage. Have you heard that before? I think it's part just part of the trial. Basically, like the trial is ongoing just because it's called post approval. Uh, studies or whatever. They, I mean, there's a special term. Many drugs that basically are high value to, to a specific company or to the FDA, the monitoring and the actual trial and collection of new data continues long before the approval has been given. Um, so I don't I don't think it's uh, it's over. I mean, just because the approval for Comirnaty was given, let's see if anybody ever gets an injection with Comirnaty, or if it's just the name that stays on the books and everybody keeps getting the. Uh, EU EUA version, which is the one that's mass produced. What is what is that? What, Did you know the, that? No, what, what's the word? So, so the FDA approved <laughs> uh, the vaccine under the trade name Comirnaty, the okay. Pfizer vaccine. Uh -huh. <laughs> but in the actual approval document, it says that basically the the, the supplies of Comirnaty are extremely limited. Mm -hmm. So the, they say that the the um, the formulation of Comirnaty and the vaccine, which continues to retain its emergency use authorization of the supplies that have been produced so far, basically the the latter, the EUA supplies, vastly outnumber the supplies of Comirnaty. They're saying that they have like only I don't know 
uh, relatively speaking, a few hundred vials of Comirnaty, but they have hundreds of millions of the one approved under the EUA. So they're saying until Comirnaty becomes available in larger numbers, you will continue getting the, the version that was under EUA, but now under the full approval. Yet, by FDA rules and federal law, uh, the approval only applies to the vial that comes and has the name Comirnaty on it. If you get a vial that doesn't have Comirnaty on it, you're still getting uh, of, uh, you know, an injection. Not that it matters, I guess. You're still getting an injection of something that that is that was and still is under the EUA. Um, so uh, it, I, it was just a, a BS approval. I mean, basically, they gave the approval for a formulation that is not in production yet, or even if it is, it's not in in, in mass usage yet, and it, it doesn't seem like it will be anytime soon. And people will continue to be getting the EUA version that is mass produced and distributed all over the world. You're you're saying they did a bait and switch. Uh, yeah, I guess bait and switch. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, well, there, there was no bait in this case. Mm -hmm. It's just switching directly. They mm -hmm. said, oh, we approved the Pfizer vaccine, and it's called Comirnaty. But guess what? You can't get Comirnaty because Pfizer doesn't produce it yet. But guess what? We have the exact same vial, and we claim that uh, we have uh, – actually, they didn't say the ingredients are exactly the same. They said equivalent. So you're getting something that's basically equivalent to the Comirnaty. It's not Comirnaty. And you're getting under the EUA, but hey, Comirnaty is approved. Can I get Comirnaty? No, you can't. Can you just so, spell that real fast? What is it? Uh, C-O-M-I-R-N-E-T-Y. Comirnaty. Yeah. Comirnaty. I haven't even heard of it. No, no, Comirnaty. C-O-M-I-R-N-A-T-Y. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it already came yeah, out. Look, yeah, yeah. a second look. <laughs> FDA.gov, yeah. Major boomer tech. Okay. Yeah, this one. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because uh, people ask us in the comments. Awesome. Want to get into some articles? What do you think? Sure. Okay. So I put the serotonin one. I put the CO2 cancer, and then I put the protein. You want to lead with the protein, saturated fat, beneficial, PUFA, detrimental for thyroid? Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, that kind of generated some controversy in the forum because if you look at the study and its conclusions, but then like in the actual data inside – uh, it's a little bit, uh, I guess, uh, confusing because they are saying in their conclusion that the protein and saturated fat is good for the thyroid, but then, uh, but then, like in the uh, in the actual text of the of the article, they say like that high index foods were, um, what was it? So th they said that protein and saturated fats were associated with uh, with high levels of three T three and T four. And then later on, they said that that's kind of not good, which kind of which I agree with, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You want the total levels to be high. Yet they still concluded that it's protein and saturated fats are beneficial because they were associated with lower TSH, and so did high carb foods, which is not in the title, but it is in the actual text. However, uh, PUFA, polyunsaturated fats, were associated with higher TSH levels. Mm -hmm. uh, now, whether you agree that TSH level is the beginning and the end of all, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the entire thyroid topic. Is a different story, uh, but it's the only study of its kind so far, um, and it's the only one that basically it's straight up Pete area. You know, it says high, uh, uh, what is it, uh, high glycemic index foods associated with lower TSH, TSH levels, and then pr uh, high protein and high saturated fat uh, foods are associated with low TSH levels and high free T and and uh, high free T, high free T three and high free T four. 
There was another um, paper. It was like subclinical hypothyroidism in um, spelling totally wrong. Uh, in children, vegetables, um, beef. It was like a paleo diet, basically. Uh-huh. And and also these are these papers are all imperfect because they always use the TSH as like the marker for hypothyroidism. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it was a compelling uh, paper. So I saw a, a Janice Dittmer, who's uh, he's like an OG rape person, commented on your your thing. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't read his critique, but anyways, I th- uh, yeah, I mean, this I, I think there are other papers that basically say similar things to this one. It was one of the actually one of the only few that I've seen on done on a very large population. It's still an association study, so it doesn't. It's not a proof directly, but it's just one yet another piece of the puzzle, and it, it just fit the fit the narrative perfectly. Uh, they specifically said the unsaturated fat, specifically fish oil. Fish oil is bad. I mean, it's not bad, but associated with lower thyroid function, mm-hmm. and then saturated fat and thyroid associated high index uh, glycemic index foods associated with better thyroid function. And that's that's all we care. That's 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 the actual message that we've been trying to tell people since 2015. Speaking of uh, nutrition, did you have any time to digest uh, the last Ray episode, the PTH and things like that? Is any anything stands out to you that was said? Uh, you mean the the, the actual recording? Uh, well, <laughs> just, just the things he was, I, I, I've listened to that episode a lot, many times and I'm, I was just, uh, I thought it was really, again, parathyroid hormone being this like powerful suppressive, I, n- nothing you don't know already, but I, it just m- emphasized calcium, vitamin D, magnesium, vitamin A, et cetera, even, even more than I thought it did. You know, it was, it was pretty interesting. Well, I guess it's the link between the, I mean, to me, at least, based on the studies I've seen, PTH is kind of like the link between the stress system, the HP, the HPA, and the thyroid, right? Yeah. So we know that they're inversely correlated, but it, it looks like it's PTH that's the actual liaison between them. So when the when the stress hormones rise, so does PTH, and high PTH is actually known even among mainstream endocrinology circles to actually suppress thyroid the synthesis of thyroid hormone. That that's actually a really interesting way to look at it. I I didn't think of that, but but that's the the parathyroid glands like live on the back of the thyroid and and the HPA the HPA that that's actually that's genius. That's really that's really interesting. And and go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's just just the connection that I made based on on different studies because they said, okay, so look, cortisol. So in order to suppress the thyroid, yeah, cortisol can shred a little bit of thyroid because it it basically shreds anything made of amino acids, and your thyroid gland is you know you know mostly protein and, and a little bit of fat, right? But it's not enough, and it's not it's not the first gland it attacks. It actually attacks the thymus first. So if your cortisol is high, you're losing your thymus uh, and 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 muscles. Uh, and immune system and things like that, right? And and then the the thyroid gland is actually one of the last that that uh, that cortisol uh, directly attacks. So something else must be going on. Well, we know that cortisol raises prolactin, and, and prolactin directly raises PTH. Mm-hmm. And PTH is actually the one that is that is directly antagonistic to the synthesis of thyroid hormone. Does PTH, when it's releasing parathyroid hormone, does that, like, since it's in such close proximity to the thyroid, the, like, uh, I know it's orchestrating these chemicals to lower thyroid. Do you think it's having a local effect as well? Not only local, but the thyroid gland expresses the receptor for parathyroid hormone. Oh, so if you, so if it senses high levels of parathyroid hormone in the blood, mm-hmm. it, it, its own cells in the thyroid gland tissue mm-hmm. have the receptor for PTH, and they st- that is a signal to stop producing and uh, stop releasing T4. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. 
That's uh, amazing. Anything else to say about this paper? Mm, not really. I mean, it got some people riled up. <laughs> I thought it was, considering all the intervention studies that we've been posting and discussing over the years, I thought it was pretty benign, but I guess it made some people angry. I, I have one other thing to say about milk. I was talking to somebody that was having like uh, devastating migraines, and they sent an email to Ray, and he was like, can you drink more milk? And that person started drinking milk, and they... <laughs> they talked to me and they're like, I haven't had a migraine since I started drinking more milk. And I, it was it was like blew me away because they were describing how terrible these migraines were. Like they they were like debilitating. And I thought that was incredible that something as simple as milk could um, have a powerful effect on their symptoms. Yeah, I mean, migraines are mostly serotonin driven. There is the several human studies now show that giving people riboflavin, vitamin B2, which is a cofactor for monoamine oxidase type A, which degrades serotonin. Uh, that basically higher doses of riboflavin, 400 to 800 milligrams daily, can completely obliterate migraines. Uh, I think, actually, uh, I forgot which company produces a uh, migraine drug called Sumatriptan, I believe. Uh, and it tried to sue <laughs> some of the authors of these human studies, small-scale human studies, saying that they were, that the, that, uh, or either sue or try to get their studies retracted, saying that the conclusions were premature, uh, and, that, and that it was unethical therapy because they actually had a placebo group and, and another group which basically had uh, was, was given the riboflavin. And the, the arguments of the pharma company was like, you should never have had a, a true placebo group because it's unethical. These people have migraines. <laughs> what you should have had is a group that has sumatriptan and another group that has sumatriptan. And then you add vitamin B2 on top of it, right? Um, so they were really mad because the studies showed that vitamin B2 by itself is much more effective than sumatriptan, and it doesn't have even close to the, um, the to the to the severity number uh, of the side effects that sumatriptan does. Sumatriptan is a 5-HT1 agonist. Uh, basically, it uh, it acts on the uh, serotonin receptor type one, uh, and yes, it does have an anti-migraine effect, but basically, it's non-selective. Uh, for the HT1 receptor, which has one, two, three, four subreceptors. And basically, being an agonist on the subreceptor D is helpful because it's, it works, uh, it, it forms a negative feedback loop with serotonin and decreases the synthesis of serotonin. However, it's also an agonist on the other three subreceptors, and all three of those have been associated, have been shown to be associated with brain aneurysms, um, glioblastomas. Uh, multiple sclerosis, and I think Parkinson's disease. So that drug basically, uh, you know, yes, it will stop your migraine at the expense of destroying your life five, ten years down the road. <laughs> uh, speaking of trials, what didn't the like uh, the FDA lose the control group for one of the vaccines or something? I I remember. I think they refused to like uh, <laughs> when they when they were asked about that group, they refused to answer. <laughs> Just trust, ignore the question. <laughs> trust, the, trust the science, Georgie. What are you doing? Uh, okay. Um, okay, let's talk about that. You you, t you tell me what you want to talk about. Uh, I mean, um, I don't know. They all seem equally interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't you get like some, some uh, I don't know, some like uh, questions from people saying like, hey, can you go <laughs> in, in more detail over like this or that study or like this or that post? Me? Like, uh, yeah, don't people like email you? Because I mean, the studies are mostly done by the time we like we're gonna have the show. So I would think like some of these people are like, hey, uh, you know, I am really riled up about this study, or like I want to know more about that part of like that study. I think you get the angry study emails. I get the I get different types <laughs> of emails. 
Uh, let's talk about the serotonin puts the brakes on libido. That uh, should be interesting to our largely male viewership. Although I know a lot of women listen to this show as well. Um, yeah. But well, that, I mean, it's, it's for both sexes. For a while. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've known this kind of for a while because anti-prolactin drugs, which are all without exception, dopamine agonists, uh, at least the ones in clinical use, are known to have a side as a side effect, um, increased libido, at, at least in males. Um, and basically, uh, uh, FDA recently approved a drug called the name, uh, the, the, the less trade but more more chemical name is flibanserin. Mm-hmm. And all of the serines, like ritanserin, right, ketanserin, they're all uh, serotonin antagonists. Um, so recently, FDA uh, approved flibanserin as a drug to treat female sexual dysfunction, or AKA frigidity in females beyond a certain age. They call it, they used to call it frigidity, but it's now uh, politically incorrect. It's sex, female sexual dysfunction. But they also found out that the same drug works pretty well in males as well. Uh, and that drug, if you look at its profile, it's basically a non-selective serotonin antagonist and a dopamine agonist, I think, on dopamine receptor 1 and 2. Um, and that study kind of confirms it, that basically the, it's the activation of specific neurons by serotonin alone that basically uh, drastically decreases the amount of dopamine in a specific area of the brain. And apparently, that air, the amount of dopamine in that area of the brain is responsible largely for the feelings of, of, uh, of I guess, lust, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and this, kind of, this can, I guess, kind of explains why some people do not get the benefit because a common treatment back in the day, actually to this day, for low sexual desire in both males and females is to prescribe both genders testosterone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the women will get a lot, a lot lower dosage and they may even get estrogen with it, right? Uh, but for males, it's almost exclusively testosterone. Um, and a good portion, maybe 60 to 70% respond to that, but a significant percentage don't. And doctors are, um, you know, uh, Puzzled, why aren't these people responding? I think this this uh, um, um, uh, study can provide a bit of a clue. Is that basically unless unless the the serotonin to dopamine ratio in that specific area of the brain, which can only be measured with an fMRI, functional MRI, um, is optimal, uh, hormonal therapy can only do so much. And um, I suspect that even for the ones that are responders, the mechanism of action of the androgens is the suppression of serotonin synthesis, which they're known to do. Uh, There's there's direct evidence for dihydrotestosterone suppressing um, the the enzyme TPH, uh, tryptophan hydroxylase, Um, and there's also partial evidence for testosterone because testosterone given in moderate, low to moderate dosages lowers prolactin. So if you lower prolactin, and prolactin is basically a very good biomarker of overall body stores of serotonin and estrogen, if for prolactin drops, chances are that serotonin is also low, but we know that prolactin is inversely associated with dopamine. So if prolactin drops, dopamine is rising too. And that's probably how the the androgen therapy, uh, in general steroid therapy, uh, uh, beneficially affects libido by acting ultimately on the brain. Yeah, I, think, I feel like this helps confirm like hundreds of anecdotes about using antibiotics or ciproheptadine or bromocryptine and those all having a noticeable effect on the libido. What, uh, how, how do you think, to be honest with you, I have, I'm kind of a, have a mysterious place in my brain for what, what dope, like where dopamine fits into the whole system. How, how you had a great analogy earlier for parathyroid hormone. How do you think about dopamine and its interaction with everything? 
Well, I mean, dopamine is like even though it is a controller itself, basically, <clears throat> dopamine is more of a sign of things going well. Um, I mean, basically, the enzyme there are two enzymes: tryptophan hydroxylase and tyrosine hydroxylase, and they're both competing for vitamin B6 as a cofactor. Um, also. If you have iron overload, basically iron inhibits tyrosine hydroxylase, but it enables tryptophan hydroxylase. It increases its activity. So it's really like the 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 presence of sufficient amounts of dopamine is first uh, is is more of a um, sign slash symptom. Uh, it's synthesized uh, from the amino acid L-tyrosine, which is itself a metabolite of L-phenylalanine. So basically, if dopamine levels are not uh, uh, basically are, are not good enough. Uh, one common reason is protein deficiency, which probably makes sense why Ray stresses this all the time, saying like a very common issue that people tend to overlook is they're not eating a sufficient amount of protein. Uh, we need at least one gram per kilogram daily. And most people, I think, are averaging, based on FDA stats and USDA stats, are averaging about 0.5 grams per kilogram daily. Now, with that in that state, and especially if you're eating a lot of muscle meats and a lot of other um, um, proteins that are high on tryptophan, you're going to be producing a lot more serotonin than you're going to be producing dopamine. And since more people, most people tend to have iron overload due to the food fortification um, and in general the uh, uh, the ubiquitous presence of iron in all the commercial foods, chances are you'll be underproducing dopamine. But once, let's assume dopamine is produced in sufficient levels, it has a direct stimulating effect on something called the star protein, a steroidogenic acute regulatory protein, which is responsible for transporting the cholesterol from the cytosol into the mitochondria mm -hmm. to be converted into all the downstream steroids. Um, and, you know, basically, when dopamine is high, you tend to produce a lot of down, downstream steroids. However, because dopamine itself uh, tends to dampen the effects of aromatase and also tends to dampen the effects of the enzyme that produces cortisol, 11-beta-HSD1, high dopamine in general means you'll be producing things more in favor of progesterone and the androgens and away from, from estrogen and from cortisol. Um, so, so my view of dopamine is that is basically it is as much a symptom as it is a cause um, of of uh, of good metabolism and good health, and that's why sometimes giving people dopamine agonists or actually L-dopa, which is a very the currently approved treatment for Parkinson, uh, initially works great, but after a few months it loses it loses all effectiveness, and I think the reason is that if you're not addressing the underlying causes of the low dopamine. Eventually, the buildup of dopamine uh, leads to the activation of an alternative pathway which produces melanin, uh, an excess amount of melanin. And that's how you're getting people who basically, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the uh, uh, of autopsies of people who've died from Parkinson disease, they have these black spots in, a, in the substantia nigra portion of their brain, which shows that, that it's, it, it's not that they're not producing enough dopamine. It's that it goes into a um, detox pathway, which basically produces this this toxic byproduct uh, when it's in the brain. You know, melanin is okay when it's uh, when it's produced in the skin, um, unless it's concentrated in a small amount in a certain area. Then you get the melanoma, right? Uh, but it's but it's really more of a more of a sign on the skin than a than a cause. Well, in the brain, overproduction of melanin is actually directly toxic to the substantia nigra. And that's the brain area that, that is uh, in charge of motor control. Um, so once that uh, gets damaged, then basically you start getting the, not the tremors, but the coordination, 
Uh, and basically, the the shakiness, uh, these people wobble. The Parkinson people wobble when they walk around. Uh, and in, late, in later stages, dementia as well. The shakiness is actually almost entirely driven by high serotonin. Um, so anyways, I don't have the same unified picture of it as they do with PTH because I think the much more complex, way too many enzymes involved in the uh, synthesis and degradation of neurotransmitters. But in general, dopamine, I think, is, is more of a um, you know uh, sign that things are going well. And then if dopamine and the serotonin ratio, it's more of the ratio than really the absolute amount. If the ratio is optimal, then you'll also be producing the optimal amount of the good steroids and keeping the other ones at bay. This can be somewhat confirmed by the fact that serotonin antagonists and dopamine agonists can be used to treat uh, both Cushing syndrome and breast cancer. Um, I don't know if you remember that study that posted maybe about three or four years ago that bromocryptine, that was an old study from the 60s, achieved 65% or more full cures of women with very advanced breast cancer, which shows you that, you know, I think to me that shows that uh, the dopamine system has beneficial effect itself, but it's driven by putting the brakes on things that are known to promote the cancer, in this case, estrogen. But dopamine agonists and serotonin antagonists and or are also used to treat successfully Cushing disease, especially cyproheptadine, by the way. Uh, but there, there are studies about lyseride, bromocryptine, uh, metergoline, metisergine. They're all, all these ergot derivatives, uh, which shows that the role of dopamine, right, not just after we remove the that it's a sign of good metabolism and, and health. The role of dopamine itself is also to put the brakes on the on the stress system and and enable um, you know the 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 synthesis the uh, allow the thyroid to do it to this job. I think there are studies also showing that administering dopamine agonist or raising dopamine actually lowers TSH and also increases the 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 ratio of total T3 over total T4, not the free one. Um, which is ultimately a function, uh, it's an indication of how well your liver is functioning, and ultimately we should be measuring the total levels of T3 because that's what determines, that's what shows you uh, really like the, the, the state of your thyroid health because it's the T3 that's active. The free T3 and T4 and free T4 are not good indicators, and if anything, if they're high, it's a bad sign because it shows, uh, it, uh, it, it implies low levels of the so-called thyroxine-binding globulin uh, which is produced by the liver. So just like SHBG, if you have free, high levels of free testosterone, a lot of people are like, oh, yes, great. Uh, you know, uh, I'm king of the hill. No, it actually means your your levels of <laughs> SHBG are low and it implies poor liver function and I think poor thyroid. Somebody asked Ray the same question um, not even a week ago saying, well, well, what means if somebody, like, isn't having a very high SHBG levels bad? And Ray's response was that, like, I don't think so. I think it shows extremely high thyroid function. I want to push back on that a little bit. There's like, uh, I, I have to read about this a little bit more, but that that high SHBG can be in liver cirrhosis. And like, so the liver is producing that protein, I think, to bind estrogen. So I, I was actually surprised that Ray yes, said that. Yes, several hormones, but uh -huh. I think it's more not of the production, but like the, the like the degradation of SHBG. So in liver disease, what happens is that you you, you decrease the synthesis of the hormones, but you also you decrease their degradation. Mm -hmm. um, so like if you look at um, if you look at uh, people with with liver disease, uh, they actually have many of them. Uh, don't uh, they actually have high estrogen, but they also have high androgens. Mm -hmm. And and there's always been a, mis a mystery, like how is it possible? We know that these people, they look hypogonadal. 
like basically like they have a gynecomastia, very cold uh, spider veins yeah. all over the face. That's a very common sign, right? Uh, of course, in in uh, later stages, ascites, I think it's called, oh, yeah, yeah. when you start accumulating uh, fluid Ascides in the abdominal area, mm-hmm. right? And these people are, are hardly the epitome of virility. Uh, I'm talking about the males. <laughs> Yet, many of them actually have high total testosterone levels. And the explanation is, well, it's the liver that is actually responsible for glucuronidation and sulfation of testosterone in excreting it. So when you have liver dysfunction, it tends to slow down the excretion of all of the steroids. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It's it's the decreased degradation of estrogen that's really killing you. It's not the other steroids that are... Um, Who's impeded their degradation is is affecting you negatively. Yeah, I would I wouldn't say that's harmful or anything. It, the the um I've so again just an anecdote from the people I've talked to. Uh, like sometimes a person will have like a really wacky labs though. Like their cholesterol will be like three hundred and their SHBG was would be high. So in that situation, I don't think yes. the SHBG would that's like, not a good from sign. Good if your cholesterol function. is high, it's that high. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that you're not converting it properly downstream. Um, it'll be if cholesterol is high. I mean, one of the first, one of, probably one of the most reliable um, uh, biomarkers that your thyroid ter- therapy is working well is if you had high cholesterol yeah. and it started dropping by at least twenty to thirty percent about a week after you started taking the thyroid. Yeah. If it doesn't, then something's off, right? I mean, either the thyroid is not working properly, you're not taking the correct dosage, maybe taking too much gets deactivated or converted to reverse T3, right? Or you're not taking enough, but you know. The high cholesterol is a pretty good indication, um, or I mean the levels of cholesterol, it's a pretty good indication of how well your thyroid therapy is working. Um, now, I've seen people with uh, with um, basically hypothyroid people that have low cholesterol, um, and I've seen people that are hypothyroid that have had high cholesterol. But invariably, like once you start a thyroid therapy, and if it's working, cholesterol tends to get normalized. If it's too low, it starts getting, uh, you know, into the normal range, and if it's too high, basically drops again into the normal range. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Okay, let's take a small little break here, guys. I know I ask you guys to do a lot of stuff, but please go to Substack.com or, or DannyRoddy.Substack.com and subscribe to uh, basically the podcast and. This will give you email updates whenever we have a show that's released. And I, like, I know Substack is about monetization. I have no plans to monetize this. It's more of like a security of Substack is uh, really true about their dedication to free speech. And so I'm going to be putting all the episodes on here. And also, when we ask for questions for Ray, I think I'm going to like point people here. Because, again, maybe, maybe this is a good hedge, uh, uh, hedge your bets for the future because... A lot of journalists and, and things like that uh, seem to be going here. And so anyways, just trying to diversify. And so click the subscription and then you'll just be emailed when we have new shows. And some of you would probably prefer to do that anyways. Um, any any thoughts on Substack, Georgie Dinkoff? Um, I, I think it looks really promising. Several high-profile journalists. Think, didn't Glenn Greenwald yeah, recently correct. join in? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, rumor is that Edward Snowden is going to start a blog there too. Um, and Assange limited, limited hangout. <laughs> Say it again. It's going to be called limited hangout. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yes, I guess. <laughs> um, let's see if Assange survives the trial. Uh, then he, he, he will probably, I think he was, uh, in one of the last interviews they had with him, he's, he actually spoke of it highly too. Um, as one of the few places that are, you know, there are other places like Gab, right. Um, and, uh, what's the other one? Um, Frank, 
the the uh, my pillow guy is, is launching. Oh, I didn't even know that. Um, but uh, the the overall like the chatter on the street is that those tend to be too extreme and too controversial. Like, uh, and they draw a specific crowd. Like, it's not so much you know this, yes freedom of speech, but also people with specific uh, specific very highly very uh, targeted opinions. Um, and to the point where Gab, the rumor is that Gab basically has been approached by several attorney generals and said, look, there, there are things that are, that are borderline federal crime because these people are talking about potentially offing the president, right, which is a federal crime. Mm-hmm. You have to start cranking, uh, cracking down on that, on that stuff or, or, or we will shut you down um, because you are harboring and enabling people who discuss and commit federal crimes online. So, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I guess this can be this can be used against any platform, uh, but th- isn't Substack distributed? Something along those lines. It's like more censorship resistant than centralized platforms like Gab and Frank. Um, if that's the case, then I have more hope for uh, for uh, for them surviving than for these other alternative free speech platforms. I think you're right. It is more of a moderate type of platform, you know? And so maybe, who knows? I have no idea, but it's kind of nice. You know, I put a popular article on here, Demystifying Thyroid Supplementation. And so again, dannyroddy.substack.com. And again, if we disappear on YouTube one day, nobody is going to be surprised, but we'll we'll definitely be on here in case anything happens. we should start a ham radio club <laughs> and basically like we chat each other on our radio. They, they, they can shut that They down. will be able to censor that for sure. So How would they censor it? They, to, I mean, they, they, they can't specifically jam just your, just, just your radio. Uh, and, and depending on the frequency, um, I think that that actually may be a very viable way of like avoiding censorship in the future because the at least the public – they have to basically shut down all frequencies. That's the only way. Because if they try to jam a specific frequency that's used by many other, I think it's, the, it's called the citizen, uh, the citizen band. It's a collection of frequencies. And then there's like another uh, big chunk of spectrum, which is also unreserved, um, the 2.4 uh, gigahertz to the 2.5, I think, spectrum, which is for Wi-Fi and, and, and several other, like for like uh, amateur uh, drone uh, radio controllers, things like that. So there are several chunks of the spectrum which have been approved for public use, unrestricted for a long time. Um, and if you operate on one of those, it's difficult to shut you down because it means shutting down essentially the, that entire band. Um, so that that would affect a lot more than just a, a gang of Peterians that have lost their mind and discussing things like LSD and who knows what. <laughs> Good point. Okay, uh, Georgie is on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash it. I am also on Twitter. Uh, I do coaching on patreon.com slash Roddy. And then, Georgie, do a, give us an update on Idea Labs. We'll talk about a few more articles, and then we'll get the hell out of here. Did you see my email about the screen, with the screenshot I sent you? Uh, about the cancer study? Uh, no, I did not. Really? It did, when did Check you, it out. Did you, when did you send it? <laughs> when you when you uh, emailed me about this individual that I'm not going to okay. mention his name. <laughs> just, that's too vague. It was somebody that nobody knows on this uh, stream, by the way. Just so rumors, I responded to that email of yours okay. with an email and a screenshot. Okay, I don't want to show yeah, my but... email. On. My, screen, oh, okay. my screen is too small here because uh, I have a MacBook Air now. Okay, so... Let me just when I really Can you somehow open just a screenshot and show it. <laughs> uh, honestly, I can't. My screen is too small. Just went. Or you? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty impressive. Like it's it's the screenshot is the story. <laughs> what? Oh well, tell tell us about it. I don't. 
It's going to be extremely so difficult. Uh, for you I mean, as you as you remember, that individual was saying that like, oh, raise ideas are bunk. It's all about genetics, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and what better way to disprove that statement uh -huh. than showing that metabolic therapy works for a cancer that has no known cure. Not only that, there's no, nothing known to that even stops it. In fact, that specific cell line called JECO-1, J-E-K-O-1, is used in animal trials to basically compare the lethality of a new cancer line that has come up to this one and basically draw like survival curves and things like that. Um, and a combination in a true Peterian fashion, because it doesn't get any more Peterian, any, any more pro-metabolic and any more gut punching for the pharma industry than that, after the lab that we use for these animals that is kept telling me, you're out of your mind trying to do a study with this cancer line. <laughs> Nothing exists that even puts a dent on it. Uh, and your stupid vitamins, you, this, you're so bizarre and insane. Why don't you go and like join a commune or like get examined by a psychiatrist? Three weeks later, <laughs> a combination of vitamin B1 and B3 completely stopped the tumor uh, yeah, okay. uh, while the control group died. You're, you're uh, and the graph shows that pretty explicitly. Well, uh, now we, the lab, of course, as soon as that happened, they immediately called me and said, "Are you sure you sent us vitamin B1 and B3? <laughs> what exactly is in that concoction?" I said, Just "Go ahead and test it yourself." So they did three separate tests, confirmed that it's B1 and B3, and now because, like, basically the cancer has been stopped in the experimental group, the control one is long dead. Uh, now, basically, we're continuing the study beyond the 21 days, which was considered the ethical endpoint, at which point they had to euthanize, typically euthanize all the animals, right? But I said, hold on a second. You told me this thing has no cure, but we stopped it. What happens if we continue to give the exact same treatment for another 21 days? So now that we are in that phase. Uh, but anyways, there is, I mean, I, I don't know of any better proof and any more embarrassing proof for the genetic claims which are actually loved by Big Pharma then this simple study that says that stuff that costs pennies on the dollar can actually stop uh, a cancer for which um, no one, not even lo Nobel laureates, have any idea how to even put a dent into it. Let's do a proper chat about that next one, uh, next time, and I'll bring up the graphs and things. And so right. I wouldn't want to just... Oh, uh, speaking of which, yeah. since I'm, I wasn't satisfied, this is a blood cancer, <laughs> the equivalent of mental cell lymphoma in humans. In fact, it is a human cancer. It's a, it's a, it's a slightly modified human uh, mental cell lymphoma. So, but um, since it's a blood cancer and I wanted to preemptively block the attacks that will invariably come in. In fact, some doctors that are following me on Twitter already emailed me saying, it's just a blood cancer. It doesn't prove anything. Most people have solid tumors. Okay. So now I call, called the lab and said, what is the most lethal uh, uh, solid tumor model that you guys have? Again, human cells. Oh, it's this glioblastoma. Again, nothing can put a dent on it. Well, let's see. The exact same study is now ongoing with does the exact same dosages and treatments, vitamin B1 and B3 for the glioblastoma. Now, if in 21 days, the graph looks the same way, and if we've cured even one animal from that first uh, from that first study, the uh, from the, the, the lymphoma, the blood cancer, I don't know what else do you need. I mean, basically, we're doing stuff here that's considered impossible even by standards of big pharma, even with the animal models. Now, of course, Always the attacks will be, oh, it's, yes, human cancer, but it's xenograft model. These are animals. It doesn't apply to humans. Okay, show me something you have done <laughs> that has achieved the, 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 the similar or the same effects. Um, anyways, 
For the people that want to see or have already opened their eyes, I think the truth is abundantly clear. Um, the rest of it, we're just we're just barking the dogs, as they say in Bulgaria. You know, like the ones people will agree. Who was that guy who said? I think it was um, Her- Heraclitus. Was it Snowden? Snowden who said, "Look, people will agree with you only if they already agree with you." For mm-hmm. the rest, like a small additional percentage may open its eyes or their eyes. Uh, but uh, you know, for the vast majority of people that disagree with you, there's they're beyond saving. No, doesn't matter what evidence you present, if it interferes with the viewpoint to the to the po- to the degree where it's actually threatening their 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 stability and mental health, they will tune you out. Like even if they stop arguing, they will simply tune you out. We're experiencing that in in mass right now. So, um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Was that B one and B three for a specific product or yes? Yeah, okay. Uh, no, no, no specific product. Uh-huh. I basically, uh, I mean, if you remember the studies, B1, mm-hmm. first of all, it's known that it's a cofactor for pyruvate dehydrogenase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've talked multiple times mm-hmm, how PDH mm-hmm. is downregulated in cancer. Mm-hmm. There is a drug which has been, uh, you know, kind of hitting the news on and off called dichloroacetate, mm-hmm. whose main effect is reactivation of PDH, mm-hmm. right? In addition, there's uh, it's actually there's a study right there right now which we're going to discuss later. Cancer cells are known to lack carbon dioxide. Conversely, they have very high levels of lactate. It's known, it, another study recently came out, I, sh- I think you remember um, we discussed it in maybe 2016, The thiamine acts as a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor mm-hmm. with a potency almost identical to the one of acetazolamide, right? Now, multiple studies and multiple articles by Ray, multiple interviews have suggested using acetazolamide as a treatment for cancer. Guess what? Thiamine can do both into one, right? Reactivate PDH and increase carbon dioxide levels. What about niacinamide? Well, again, the the fun, the the, the uh, um, activity of PDH depends on the NAD to the to the NADH ratio. In fact, the main pathway through which the Rendel cycle blocks the oxidation of glucose is by dropping that ratio of NAD to the NADH. Cancer cells are known to have extremely low NAD mitochondrial, I should say, should emphasize, because cancer cells have very high NAD to the NADH ratio in the cytosol because they use pyruvate to oxidize NADH back to NAD, but they produce lactate, lactate in the process. But they have very low NAD to the NADH ratio in the mitochondria. So giving niacinamide should raise the NAD to the NADH ratio in the mitochondria. In addition, further studies on the forum showed that limiting fat supply to the tumor is often curative. In fact, one study specifically with niacinamide demonstrated complete disappearance of both liver and pancreatic tumors very well established and with metastasis. Um, so all of these things. So niacinamide inhibits lipolysis, but in higher dosages, it also actually inhibits the enzyme carnitine palmitoyl transferase, which basically, uh, it, so it acts similar to the drug A. Atomoxir, uh, E-T-O-M-O-X-I-R, um, which is, again, a fatty acid oxidation inhibitor. So a combination of these two humble, cheap, dirt-cheap vitamins is effectively mimicking many of these other treatments that Ray has spoken about, and they have been confirmed by multiple studies. So the reason why I chose those, I could have chosen something like mildronate, right, instead of niacinamide, or maybe acetazolamide instead of uh, uh, vitamin B1, thiamine, I just wanted to really rub it in there into the wound of the pharma industry <laughs> by using something so dirt cheap and simple <laughs> that if this works, it, their position will become indefensible. Yes, they will argue, 
uh, if they even pay attention to the study. But the greatest badge of honor for me would be if they attack the journal and ask the journal to retract the study. Then you will know <laughs> we have hit the mark. You're the number one target of the pharma industry, Georgie Dinka. <laughs> I, I, I doubt it, but, but I'll be proud if I become one of them. <laughs> Okay, what? How long have we been streaming here? Um, let me check. Okay, we're at an hour forty, but minus thirty, so we're about an hour seven. So let's talk about two, or three more articles, and then hit the hay. Um, what was the last one that I said? We talked about serotonin. You want to talk about the? This is kind of with what you were already talking about: the Achilles heel of cancer discovery, its lack of CO two. Yeah, I mean, as we just mentioned, basically the um, uh, this this study discovered that. Uh, um, you know, like uh, all cancer cells and the ones that they specifically looked at is basically is characterized by a deficiency of carbon dioxide. The, it's the overactivity of the enzyme carbonic anhydrase, uh, which basically degrades carbon dioxide, I think, to, buy, to bicarbonate and water, if I'm if not, not mistaken. Uh, and this enzyme has been uh, shown to be upregulated in every single cancer type. Um, and in this case, they actually, by I think by administering um, uh, another carbonic anhydrase inhibitor specifically for the sub-enzyme CA9. I don't know why they specifically chose that one. I think it makes, I mean, I know why. The, that drug SLC-011, I think, is the mm -hmm. one that they used, is patented, new, and it's the authors invented it. So, of course, they're going to talk about that drug. <laughs> but uh, really, if you read the study, all it really says is that uh, cancer cells depend on the overexpression of carbonic anhydrase to survive. As soon as you inhibit it a little bit, a little bit, um, you start seeing massive apoptosis. And this matches with, with what Ray said repeatedly, but I think he mentioned on the last podcast as well. So basically, the uh, an abnormal cell typically rapidly commit, commits apoptosis and takes itself out of the equation. It doesn't burden the organism anymore. However, it depends on the pH, the intracellular pH of the cell. If that pH goes above a critical threshold, in other words, the cell, the cell inside becomes more alkaline. Apoptosis cannot kick in. So by lowering, by inhibiting carbonic anhydrase and increasing the synthesis, I'm sorry, preventing the degradation of CO2, in other words, raising its intracellular levels, you are acidifying the cell inside, and that automatically is the trigger for apoptosis. And since cancer cells are the, tend to be the most abnormal, uh, they're the ones who tend to commit apoptosis and take themselves out of the equation. And it doesn't matter which part of the body they're, they're, they're located at. Uh, Furthermore, I just rem remember another study posted two and a half years ago, which created a lot of other controversy. Apparently, carbonic anhydrase is upregulated in aging. So if you go to Google and search the forum, type carbonic anhydrase aging, you will see that basically they made a very strong argument that, that uh, uh, there we go, the carbonic anhydrase, in other words, the deficiency of carbon dioxide is the main driver of the aging process. And people will be like, uh, conversely, inhibiting carbonic anhydrase may be a treatment for aging. So people will think, well, what's the connection? What's the connection is that the levels of carbon dioxide inside of the cell are the primary um, trigger for mitochondrial biogenesis. In other words, more carbon dioxide, more mitochondria. This is the reason why when you go at altitude and you start retaining more carbon dioxide, you start producing 
uh, massive amounts of mitochondria. You don't have only one per cell. You can have multiple, right? And that's why athletes train at altitude, especially endurance athletes. And then when they go down to like lower levels for the first week or so, they're much more, I mean, their athletic performance is, is ridiculous um, uh, and unmatched by regular people that have been training at, at lower altitude simply because they have so, so many more mitochondria per cell. And the main reason why you have more mitochondria for more mitochondria at altitude is the higher levels of carbon dioxide that you retain. Could it uh, cause a cancer cell to de-differentiate like progesterone does? Or have you seen anything like that? You mean differentiate, not di- not de-differentiate. Well, oh, you mean re-differentiate. Re- yeah, yeah like, yeah, like going back to n- normal, right? Well, I think that's actually, if you remember the study we discussed three episodes ago, vitamin D-forcing like forcing cells to re-differentiate. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, I have a blog post about that. I suspect that the main way through which vitamin D does that is actually by raising the levels of carbon dioxide in the body. Vitamin D, unbeknownst to many people, is also a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor. Uh, I mean, I could find it. Um. Uh, type, uh, like, just search the blog vitamin D, uh, vitamin D mm-hmm. and then differentiate. Oh, no. Yeah, there you go. It's right there. <laughs> is it? Oh, so a cancer cell going back to normal is redifferentiation. Isn't that called de-different? Am I retarded? Well, no, de-differentiation is when a normal cell, which is basically differentiated, means like it's specified to yeah, perform a single specific yeah. function. Okay. So, so de-differentiate means it's going back to the amoeba state. Redifferentiate uh, okay. uh. means. Going back to the specialized function okay. that he had. Okay. But keep in mind, there is no such thing as a <laughs> cancer cell. It's just a cell that's so deranged, mm-hmm. it got rid of its mitochondria. And I think there was a group in Russia that actually tried injecting mitochondria back into cancer cells yeah. and seeing w- what that does to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they only published one study in Russian that I remember seeing. It was like 2000, circa 2011. I, I don't even remember their names. I will try to find it because it was very interesting. I mean, they also recognize the fact that most cancer cells are almost entirely glycolytic, and they uh, many of them don't even have mitochondria, uh, which matches what Brewer Barnes and Otto Warburg and Linus Pauling said, is that if the organism cannot produce enough energy to maintain its differentiated state, it will dismantle this complex apparatus, which itself takes energy to maintain and go back to the primitive state. So the Russians have kind of like got a hold of that or realized that, at least that group, and they said, okay, um, there are many ways to attack this problem, but I guess the more progenetic and, and more fashionable one is through some kind of a cellular editing directly, in other words, injecting, implanting mitochondria directly into the cell. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, let's uh, so. speaking of vitamin D, why don't we talk about um you just posted this one, vitamin D <laughs> yes. or do you want to talk about vitamin D or, do, or we can talk about both the, the Talbin one? And then... uh, yeah, but they're kind of related. I mean, okay. basically, the uh, another study which showed directly that vitamin D inhibits the replication of SARS-CoV-2 directly. Uh, if you remember, I mean, you've seen already so many studies came out that said, hey, vitamin D is low in, in 9 out of 10 hospitalized patients. It actually predicts morbidity and mortality, right, better than any other biomarker except lactic acid. Uh, but they usually go hand in hand, low vitamin D with high lactic acid, which confirms by the way, what I just said earlier, that vitamin D raises carbon dioxide because carbon dioxide and lactic acid are inversely correlated. So low vitamin D, low carbon dioxide would imply high lactic acid and vice versa. Uh, It will be interesting to see 
if lactic acid actually inhibits the enzyme that synthesizes vitamin D from cholesterol, I would not be surprised if it does. Because that enzyme requires NAD as a cofactor. And NAD is a sign of a well-oxidized organism, while lactic acid is a sign of a, a, an organism in a reduced state. Mm. So they, it, once again, this, it, it wouldn't be surprised if the relationship is inverse there. Uh, and direct, basically, direct causative relationship. And you'll be also interested to see if vitamin D inhibits Lactate dehydrogenase. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if it does. Anyways, long story short, uh, despite all the studies, the vitamin D uh, levels predict low vitamin D levels, predict morbidity and mortality from COVID-19. Uh, the, the official version of CDC and most uh, public health organizations around the world is like, look, we can't start prescribing vitamin D because we don't know what its mechanism of action is. And even if it is the causative factor, right? It could be just a correlation. These people, maybe, maybe people who are weak, um, and sick in general tend to have vitamin D and do low vitamin D, and those people are also the ones who tend to die from COVID-19. Well, guess what? Now, actually, this study says that vitamin D and several other uh, structurally related, all of the derivatives of cholesterol, um, actually directly inhibit two enzymes that are vital for the replication of the enzyme. Not only that, but the mechanism is so generic that these two enzymes are responsible for the replication of all coronaviruses. So unless SARS-CoV-2 manages to mutate somehow into influenza, which is not, it's, I wouldn't hold my breath. I mean, it may actually happen if you let our mainstream press have its way with it and flu, the flu will suddenly come back, right? Because now they claim all the cases are zero. Mm -hmm. But unless coronavirus manages to mutate into a completely different species, vitamin D, as they say, should be able to, should be effective against original and mutant strains of SARS-CoV-2. And as I said in my blog post, remind me again, why do we need vaccines if that's the case? Like, uh, <laughs> we have this thing here that prevents and potentially cures <laughs> COVID-19 and is effective against its future mutations and it has no side effects? I mean, seriously, you're, you're not what, under, is, uh, you're what not are we doing here? You're not understanding it, Georgie, it's a vaccine. <laughs> Don't you understand? Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I quoted the movie Gladiator where the, the Gladiator said, uh, the Marcus Aurelius said, tell me again, Maximus, why are we here? For the glory of the empire, sire. So the same thing. Why are we doing vaccines instead of vitamin D? For the glory of the empire. Yeah, right. Of course, like uh, for making money and ensuring world dominance. Isn't it obvious? You don't conquer the world with vitamin D. You conquer it with a patented and extremely expensive vaccine. Unbelievable. Straight from the source. Uh, okay. And we are at 147 here. Um, what? No, oh, we didn't talk about the the vitamin D fat oxidation, or did we? We didn't. But uh, it's a similar. It turns out to be a similar mechanism. Unsurprisingly, because it's already known that that uh, fatty acid increased fatty acid oxidation is involved in cancer, right? But the preceding stage of cancer is in almost in in almost every case is fibrosis, unless you're being exposed to some kind of a mutagen, right? There's a direct damage to the uh, to the genome, and that basically the, the cell starts acting erratically before going through the fibrotic stage first. In almost all other cases, fibrosis precedes cancer. And this study is the only one that I've seen so far that says that the increased uh, oxidation of fatty acids is the actual driver uh, and a required driver of the fibrotic process. And apparently inhibiting 
uh, the the oxidation of fatty acids is actually curative of pulmonary fibrosis, which remember is a is a disease that has not only has no cure but is invariably lethal in in two to three years after diagnosis. Um, and um, recently, the uh, evil company Pfizer, whose vaccine got recently approved, <laughs> uh, stole the drug Lizaride, looked at it. No, I should say stole, but looked at Lizaride, realized its potential. And synthesized a slightly modified derivative called dihydrolizaride, which is different from regular lizaride by only a single hydrogen atom, um, and basically is now running clinical trials demonstrating that the lethal and, as they call us, irreversible pulmonary, heart, liver, and spleen fibrosis uh, and peritoneal, by the way, are actually entirely reversible by administering a simple serotonin antagonist. Some people will say, "Well, what's the difference between the serotonin antagonist and and you know and the uh, uh, this specific case and fibrosis in general?" Well, serotonin is known to basically cause fibrosis, and also serotonin is known to increase fatty acid oxidation. How also, as you remember, I mean, the title says vitamin D is another agent that can do that, and vitamin D <laughs> is actually known to lower serotonin both by decreasing parathyroid hormone and also by directly inhibiting the enzyme tryptophan hydroxylase. If you go to the forum and type vitamin D TPH, you'll see an article that's at least four years old that basically says that vitamin D inhibits the enzyme tryptophan hydroxylase in the gut, uh, in peripherally, not just the gut. Uh I think Google at this point, I don't know if you noticed, but the, the Google <laughs> search quality has declined to the point that basically, unless, actually, the forum search used to be pretty crappy, but now outshines Google every single time. So I just search the forum directly. Yeah, I don't. Um, you don't have to add, add, hey, dude, just say vitamin D, TPH. You think uh, that And remove, hey, dude. Yeah, remove, hey, dude. If I um, repeat. Right. Yeah, site, no, no, do site. Inhibit uh, site colon rapidforum.com. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise Google will, will overrule what you're searching. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's like several people already emailed me showing really bizarre results. T TPS, uh, TPH, TPH, and vitamin D. That should be enough. And vitamin D. Yep. It still doesn't show it. You want it before. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Can you go to the forum and search, like use the forum? Uh, I'm, I'm like not logged. I don't. I'm not logged oh, in. You won't let, so, no, actually, you'll let you search. You'll let you search. Are you sure? I think it does. I don't think it does. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Vitamin D, pH. And then TPH. Well, uh, well I'm shocked. I didn't know that. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out on this Friday evening. Sincerely appreciate it. We have uh, amazing listenership, and it's evidenced by the Great people in the chat here. Um, oh, okay. Right. I mean, here's one post that mentioned. Okay, do TPH dash one or TPH dash two instead of TPH? I think that post mentions because there are two <laughs> two isoforms: okay. one expressed peripherally and one in the brain. You say TPH dash one or TPH dash two? Uh, we're gonna have to move on here. <laughs> 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 That's. That's really annoying. Like this, this study is like one of the like one of my favorites. I keep sending it, email it, email it to people. Uh, uh, this no. Uh, can you click on that number four, <laughs> like where it says I posted a study about vitamin D inhibiting TPH two? Yeah, one. this one. No, no, the the one below. Right. Yeah, this one. 
Right, but it doesn't have the actual the actual link. We have lost I, every you know listener on Spotify by now. <laughs> <laughs> That's Google is is officially lost it. I just don't know. I mean, like I, I'm I'm still using it, but but very rarely. Let me see. Maybe you're you're being shadow banned, or like they're manipulating is, your results. This is just an open uh, browser that's not logged into anything, but anything is possible these days. Let's see. TPH. Yeah, you look for it. Okay, guys. Let me do one more advertisement here. Okay, so go to Danny Roddy. Danny I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just if you're interested in this, listening to the show or getting emails when we when I post like the timestamps and stuff. And then also I'm uploading it to here as well uh, as in addition to there spot, we go I found, found it. it. <laughs> Luckily you can't share your screen. <laughs> well, that's that's bizarre. I'm pretty sure like that we're being censored because because I mean that that if you look at the post in the title it has everything that you searched for yet mm -hmm. it still didn't show it. Oh nice. Let me see the launch to chat and you can open it up on the screen. Chat on on what? Oh I can't even I can't get to that. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> That's on a different computer. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. We'll have to we'll have to show it now, or I'll put it in the show notes or something like that. Cool. Um, okay, we're running towards the end here. Is there? Uh, did you want to talk about? Well, let's check the time. Uh, yeah, we could. Uh, did I? Do we not talk? Do you want to just end right now? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm okay. Let's see. Uh, we're talking about vitamin D. Oh, the endotoxin and rheumatoid okay. okay, let's talk about that. I one think me. that's pretty important because they actually, for the first time, confirmed. That is specifically the endotoxin that's causing the rheumatoid arthritis as a, is, is actual cause. And they cured it by administering a drug that fixed the gut lining barrier. Um, and the, that drug is called Lazarazotide. Lazotide. However, the study actually specifically says that, look, I mean, we fixed it this way because basically – um, I don't know what the reasoning, but basically they said the real cause is endotoxin, right? And they said, all we're doing with this drug is preventing endotoxin from getting into the bloodstream. It's the endotoxin into the bloodstream that's causing this autoimmune inflammatory reaction, specifically in the joints. But they also say this should be applicable to virtually every other autoimmune condition out there. And since my wife works in clinical trials, she actually works with autoimmune conditions, and recently the actual medical profession has made an argument that things like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, all of these, ulcerative colitis, all of these are actually one condition but with different manifestations. Don't hold your breath that they did this for any noble reasons. All they wanted to do is save money to get one drug that's basically approved for one condition, the pharma company, wanted, wanted it automatically to be usable for all the other conditions without having to go through a separate clinical trial for each one of them. Long story short, even mainstream medicine now says there is no such thing as a separate autoimmune condition. These are all individual symptoms, I mean, unique symptoms of an underlying cause, which they blame genetics on, and a in mysterious interplay between genetics and environment. Well, this study says, no, I don't think so. It's actually bacteria, <laughs> bacteria in the gut, and specifically endotoxin. So their approach was block the endotoxin from getting into the bloodstream. But a more reliable approach is just as with PUFA. Instead of blocking the downstream effects of PUFA, the better thing is get rid of PUFA altogether. Same thing here. Instead of blocking the effects of endotoxin, get rid of endotoxin altogether, which means give people antibiotics, charcoal, whatnot, keep the microbiome down to a minimum. 
And I mean, the sad part is this has actually been tried and proposed um, as early as the 1920s as a reliable cure for rheumatoid arthritis. Keep uh, just think how diluted medicine must be to actually not even. I mean, uh, it's well known that people with rheumatoid arthritis have the so-called rheumatic fevers. They very often get this these febrile episodes where they get like a very high fever, and doctors are uh, basically dumbfounded, saying like, "Well, why are these people getting this fever?" So it should immediately make one think of either a bacterial infection or of another cause with similar effects, which is endotoxin. It causes the exact same thing. It's one of the most reliable and widely used methods in animal research to induce a febrile episode. So over 100 years, I'm sorry, yeah, it is over 100 years, medicine has not even thought of this, or maybe it has, maybe it's even more corrupt than I think. It's not just dumb, corrupt. <laughs> They're basically like, these people have fevers every week, yet we've, it hasn't crossed our minds that it could be due to either bacteria or something else of bacterial origin, namely endotoxin. By the way, tests have been run on people with autoimmune conditions to exclude bacterial pathogenesis as the origin. So if it's not bacteria, but it still causes fever, there are only two things that can do that. One is endotoxin. The other one is serotonin. Uh, and guess what? Uh, getting rid of either serotonin and or endotoxin is usually highly therapeutic for autoimmune conditions. There are thousands of animal studies based on that. But of course, the response is, well, enough with these mice, Georgie. Uh, they're not humans. <laughs> I haven't read this article for a long time. I think uh, I forgot who posted it, and I know this website looks a little sketch. But uh, the title was "Why." It's a doctor who wrote the article. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I was uh, why I prescribe antibiotics to my patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, multiple chemical sensitivity, and other autoimmune diseases. So this factor, this is really similar to what you're saying. Same thing, basically. And by the way. Not to give me or this guy too much credit. He's been known since the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> um, for some reason, medicine, well, not for some reason, we know why, but it's really it's really scary how effective propaganda is. If you look at, go on PubMed and start looking at things like rheumatoid arthritis, antibiotics, right? You'll see that after about the 1940s, almost all references to this topic disappeared. And then you start seeing things, you know, discuss genetics, the genetic component of autoimmune conditions, the role of like bad upbringing <laughs> in autoimmune conditions. I kid you not. It's like your mom yelled at you and suddenly you, your joints were swollen. Uh, they would make even that absurd argument before they consider, you know, the role of endotoxin. Great stuff. Is there anything you want to chat about uh, in our outro? I don't know how are things in Mexico. Like, how are you doing with the with the group of vigilantes over there? No, <laughs> I'm just joking. Everything is fine. Uh, have friends down here for like the, the basically the first time I've ever been here. Uh, two more friends just came down, so it's it's really different. You know, it's it's crazy to have people that you could just chat with Ray about or chat about the what, what we're experiencing. You know, I don't even know what I would do if I didn't have that. I think it would be this year would be brutal. You know, and so. I'm very happy, you know, that I can go see people in in real life, you know, that don't think you're nuts. But um, yeah, th th have you met Ray in person? No, 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 no. I okay. It, well, may maybe you'll be the first one to meet him. I mean, I mean <laughs> you know who you know who met him? Us. Jihad. Oh, he has. Yeah, he said he had the biggest head he's ever seen. <laughs> That's actually, uh, uh, I would take it as a compliment. You know, <laughs> yeah. large head. And uh, funny story. So now, just reminded me. 
apparently one of the one of the uh, biggest aphrodisiacs in the animal world is the size is the ratio of the the head of the size to the rest of the body. Ah. Isn't that called um, cephalization or something? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. Uh, so it's like uh, apparently having massive head like uh, gets you late all the time. We should ask Ray. <laughs> Anyways, I think we're, we still want to do some kind of uh, a Ray Pete retreat or something if things get uh, you know solidified down here. I think that is an attractive kind of thing. Hopefully, you know, you come. To, I mean, are you with this Biden announcement? Is that I we kind of talked about this already, but it scare you even more. Um, it, it's confirmed. I mean, not scared because it's, I mean, I've already known where, where, where yeah. things are going. Not, I, I saw the writing on the lo- yeah, yeah. wall a long time ago. Now there's, there's no doubt because, and I think the liberal media was saying like, uh, trying to do the fact checking. Did Biden really say he will never push a mandate on people? And then even there, December, their, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, actually their verdict was true for uh, the first uh, time ever. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, but you know, I I think that may actually be a make or break situation. That that imp- imposition of a of a federal mandate on private companies that do not be, do business with the federal government, I think that may lead to either a very um, what should I call it, um, wide reaching Supreme Court decision against Biden, assuming the Supreme Court is not completely compromised, or potentially a secession. I mean, I I don't I think there's sufficient number of states that basically take that last step as as being the last straw. Basically, you do not tell us how to run our business. If we don't do business with the federal government, you have no business in our affairs. I th- I think we're one false flag away from a complete tyrannical situation. Well, I was going to say, like, or 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 you know, if I mean, because they're not stupid, right? I mean, you have like massive intelligence agencies probably monitoring the the pulse of the nation twenty four seven. So if they sense that things are going that way, there probably will be a false flag, martial law, and that's it. That's basically the – after that, you're looking at civil war. All she wrote. I don't <laughs> – what <laughs> – I mean, yeah, I don't want to speculate too much. But, um, did you see that like the Taliban had interrupted the white nationalist terrorist narrative? Like and they went back to it. Maybe it was on Zero Hedge or something, but they had gone back to it like as soon as they possibly could. And then people were um, putting together articles saying that there's like a strong suspicion there's going to be a white terrorist act, but nothing. There's no information on it that it's going to be planned. There's just like strong suspicion about it. Like uh, remember uh, Michael Moore when he did the Fahrenheit for nine eleven? What was the movie called? Bowling for Columbine. No, no, no. The the subsequent Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 9/11. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. About about Bush. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he when he was basically saying like uh, he was talking about how Bush in the, remember the terror color the terror warning yes, color yes, system. Yes, yes, And he kept saying like oh and like they started using more and more mundane reasons to raise the terror alert until they started raising it for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and then he have this he has this speech from Bush who says like. I'm afraid that the evildoers may be up to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid I cannot divulge more because even we don't know what they may be up to. But I think it warrants raising the terror alert to orange or even red. I forgot what it was. So we're back to the exact same thing. We are going to – I think we need to be very – you need to be terrified, but we don't know why. Haven't we talked about this before? Like that that whole Bush terror alert thing, it's like this whole thing is reminiscent of that, like identically. You know, it's like it's the same people th- who are running it. Yeah. Go check out no, who are in know, charge I know. Of, the, of the committee that sets this up. I know the exact it's, same people. It's just shocking to me that somebody can have gone through that. Like everybody thinks that was bullshit. 
But like you go into COVID times and like everybody has amnesia or most a lot of people, you know, a majority of people, and they completely forget how like nonsensical that was. And we're and then we're being exposed to the exact same thing now. So again, maybe I'm maybe people are so stupefied and sick and uh demoralized. No, that they, I think evolution is kicking in and we're splitting to sep two separate species. <laughs> uh, I, I try to steer the conversation with Ray in that direction, and, and for some reason he uh he didn't, didn't hear me or didn't want to entertain. But uh I mean I've talked to him before, if you remember about evolution and about why the you know the difference between the chimpanzees and people, and why they still haven't found the like the common ancestor, the last common ancestor, um, like the most recent common ancestor of both chimpanzees and people. And Ray said, well, maybe it was people back in the day, and then some of them started eating more fruit, climbing trees, and whatnot, and they became chimpanzees. So a much more directed uh, idea of, of of evolution, but evolution works in both directions. So if basically the conditions become extremely inhospitable and unfavorable to a specific subgroup, um, I don't see why that subgroup would not actually degenerate or at least change into a, you know, um, they will look human, but they will certainly not act like humans. Well, I remember him saying the eating a vegan diet would cause a person to like over time de-evolve, he said, or something like that. Was that on this show well, with us? I can't remember. Have you ever met vegans? Uh, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can confirm one. it even now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Straight from the source. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. It's always very fun to do these. What is your schedule? Are we doing this next week or what? I don't know yet. I okay. mean, basically school started, but I think next Thursday, either Thursday or Friday, there's some kind of like a parent uh, parent-teacher thing. So I don't know yet. Okay. I haven't emailed Ray, but I assume he'll be... Back on at the end of the month here. Uh, maybe I'll do another Q&A if you guys want. Um, or obviously, we'd love to have you, but if you're tied up, that's fine. Um, what else? Uh, subscribe to this thing on the bottom here, dannyrotty.substack.com, <laughs> because, again, that, that would just be insurance in case anything happens. And, again, I, I think a lot of you would appreciate just getting the show emailed to you because, um, yeah. Okay, Georgie, parting words. I think the, the end is nigh, as they say. The, well, by end, I mean the end of the current system. Uh, so hang in tight. Fight, fight, like, fight like crazy because I don't think they're going to let us go off that easily this time. Yeah, it got, just got real. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. Give this episode a like. That really uh, helps us out. And yeah, have a safe weekend. And as Georgie says, stay sane, uh, stay safe. And we'll see you guys. Uh, I'll do, we'll do something on Friday. I'm not sure what. Okay, guys, take care. See you guys later. Peace out, everyone. Goodbye.